Welcome, all you blokes and chillers, to the Sport Shack from the Gold Coast, Australia. In the Sport Shack this week, we're going to talk about some of the sporting topics of the week and go back in time and some of our favourite sporting memories from the past as well as the news and events, music and film, and lots more. And all from and with our great mate, Paul Tonner. We acknowledge the Ugambe people, past and present, the traditional custodians of this land, of the Gold Coast. We thank the Yogambe people for the opportunities to do this podcast on their land. Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of the Sports Shack. I hope you are well and have had a great sporting week. Hi Glenn. Hey Paul. How's it yeah. going? They're on the Gold Coast. Yeah, good. <laughs> hey, I um, did something the other day. Yeah. I went to that Finally went to that recovery centre. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, it was fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, they actually, like in our last episode, we spoke about, uh, you know, the different training techniques and interesting yeah. training methods by sports people. And yeah. we spoke about LeBron James using, uh, I think it was called cryotherapy. Yeah. And they actually do it there. Yeah. 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 To help recover. Yeah. And, uh Oh, it was interesting going into those cold pools. <laughs> yeah, I remember being up there and you see the big Berlin footballers come up and, yeah, talking yeah. manly stuff. And then, then they go to get in the pool and they scream like girls. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, uh, I was about the only one there. Yeah. And, you know, First of all, like they said, oh, you go into the cold water first. Yeah. And you got to get out. So you go cold pool, hot pool, cold pool, hot pool, and yeah. so on. Yeah. And you change every four minutes. Yeah. That's what's recommended because they've got like a clock there. Yeah. 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 Is that what you did? Or? Oh, well, yeah. I, sometimes I did, but most of the time I just stayed in the warm pool. Yeah. Yeah, especially in winter, it wasn't yeah, a good idea to go in what the, it's 13 degrees in the cold pool. Yeah, yeah but it's still a. What I, what I found, like, because I went in the cold pool first and I coped fine, you know. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, this is nothing. <laughs> oh, what are they going on about? Yeah. And then. Uh, I thought, oh yeah, you know, I'll try and do it. I'll do an hour of this, and by the time I got halfway through, oh, bless my soul! <laughs> <laughs> that cold pool was felt bloody cold. Yeah, yeah. Nah. <laughs> started to get a bit of hypothermia. Yeah, yeah, but uh, I pushed myself, and uh, yeah. oh, geez, you feel good afterwards. Yeah, yeah, it does. Oh. Yeah, it's what it, it opens up you. Yeah. Your blood vessels, yeah, 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 and restricts too, doesn't it? Yeah, 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 because yeah, yeah, the cold pool, the, the cold pool, you, you attracts your blood into the organs, and yeah. then when you go to the hot pool, expands it. That's so it. by doing it that way, yeah, it helps yeah. with inflammation too. Apparently, yeah, yeah. yeah. but yeah. no, I might start going every second. Well, once every two weeks, I reckon. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, it was good stuff. Yeah. Enjoyed it. Oh, it's good. 
Hey. Anything else happening up there in the Goldie? Oh, just trying to think. Well, the World Cup's kicked off. That's all I can think of. Yeah. <laughs> yeah apart from that, no, just the normal. Oh, yeah. Normal stuff that we had some nice weather the last yeah. few days. So, oh, yeah. A bit more heat, which is good. Yeah. Yeah, because and... I actually had to put down here, I had to put the air conditioner on the heating on Friday night because it was cold. Oh, and okay. then by Saturday, by Sunday it was a thirty-two degree day. Yeah, so I had, the, I had the switch air conditioner over to cooling. Mm. I thought, yeah, this is that's a contrast. Yeah, it's like the hot and cold pools up there. Yeah, <laughs> just with the weather. I'll tell you what, those cold pools. Oh boy, you know about it after a while. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And it's like you're there going. You see the the clock there. You know the. The timer, and you're going, go the clock, go the clock, go the clock. <laughs> you, you, you wait for it to go faster. Oh, mate, when Wait, you're in that cold pool, like, the, oh, jeez. The, the time seems to go slower. Yeah, exactly. And then when you get in the warm pools, it's, oh, it's better. But oh, how good is that? Next thing you know, it's bit time to change again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, uh, oh, jeez, when you get out of that. Cold water after four minutes, it's like beauty, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then when the four minutes is up with the hot, oh, and it's back on the cold, oh, bugger. Yeah. You can do it. You can do it. You yeah, can do it. Yeah. Just keep on yeah. telling you, it's good for you. It's good for you. It's good for you. Yeah. yeah. But uh, no, nah, I'm just thinking of, well, I've got some winners and losers. Have you got a slap of the week? Yeah, yeah, well, I've got a few, uh, yeah, yeah, a slap just just dealing with the change in state government, you know, yeah. regarding my license and you know their attitude to for me moving down from Queensland to mm. New South well, Wales and just their comment about Queensland. I thought you got yeah. no idea. I'd rather be I'd be up there in a flash. <laughs> I've even brought myself some tickets for the, a raffle for a place up on the Sunshine Coast. So if I get any chance of moving back up, I'd, I'd take yeah. it. Is yeah. that the Marta one? The Marta? No, no, it's for the Surf Life Saving. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'd rather support them because I know where the money's going. And, you know, yeah, they do a fantastic job each year. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just thinking. Um, I think yeah, it would be in our next episode. There's a a guy. What was the name of the the surf club that you went to? Was it Northbridge? No, Surf Surfers Paradise Surf Life Saving Club. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. In a bit. Uh, right. in 2025, they'll be a hundred years old. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, I was talking to a guy down here that bought me car from, and he said, "Oh, the Gold Coast is." I don't like the Gold Coast because it's too plastic. Yeah. And then I started telling him about some of the stories of the people that I know up there and things that happen. And he goes, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, so, yeah, compared to down here. Yeah. Yeah, like car, yeah, that's why it took me ages to, to buy a new car because <laughs> people want too much money for, what, you know, Real, being realistic, too much money for, yeah, you know, 
cars that have 300,000 kilometres or so on them. Mm. Yeah, so I just wanted to get a good car at a decent price. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I saw the pictures there. It looks great. Yeah. It's a Honda, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I reckon I could even flip it if I wanted to, give it a good detail. And, yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah, there was even another one I saw that's it's a 2001 model and they were still asking 13 grand for it. 13 grand? Yeah, Gosh, 2001, like I thought. <whistles> yeah. Good luck with that. Yeah. <laughs> Mine's a 2008 and... Gosh, you'd be lucky to get. I'd be lucky to get two or three grand, I reckon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I got booked in for a service next week, and oh gosh. Yeah. 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 It'll be interesting. Yeah. <laughs> a big bill coming my way, oh, I think. Yeah. Yeah, but you got to keep spending the money on them. Yeah. Yeah, to keep them going. That's it. Yeah, because where I am at the moment, I'd be stuck with that one because. Oh, completely. Yeah, there's no decent um, public transport around here. Mm. So you've really got to have a vehicle to to get around to do stuff. Mm. Yeah. Even the Gold Coast, the transport's not great. Oh, well, it's better than down here, mate. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. But, the, yeah, for the, a city, you know, if you think about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but but the bus only comes through the main part of Lake Calo. Yeah, you know, twice a day. Mm. And I have to walk down there to get the bus. And you got yeah. no trains out that way nah, too. Nah, so. Nah. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, no, the Goldie is better, yeah. Realistically. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Rightio, so I've got some winners now. Yeah, yeah, the Australian men's and women's rugby league teams. They both won their World Cups. Yeah, Australia beat Samoa, 30 points to 12. And oh, the Gillaroos, they absolutely toweled up New Zealand 54 to 4. I was really surprised by that result. Yeah. So I thought it'd be a really close game because normally, mm -hmm. um, whenever those two teams play, it, it goes right down to the wire. So uh, that was a, a brilliant performance. Yeah. And James Tedesco, yeah, the Aussie fullback, yeah, man of the match. Geez, he, he's one hell of a footballer, that bloke. Yeah. Oh boy. Jeez. Mm. Just a gun player. Yeah. And uh Cameron Smith, the golfer. Uh, yeah, yeah, he returned back to Australia. And I don't don't know whether you saw this on the news, Glenn, but he he, he tried to do like a world record attempt for a golf lesson. Yeah. So the most number of participants at a golf lesson. This was in <laughs> Brisbane. Because yeah. it's in the lead up to the uh Australian PGA that's coming up. Yeah. And I think this is one good thing that this Live Tour might do, you know, the Live Golf that might um, get Australian, you know, tournaments in Australia up and going again. Okay, yeah. Yeah, so the aim was, I think, to get 1,074 participants in this golf lesson and yeah. I think they just fell short. So. Yeah. yeah, and Lydia Coe, yeah, the New Zealand golfer, she won... Yeah. Uh, the season-ending ladies' tournament, the mm. LPGA. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, Rory McIlroy, he became the European winner again. I think it's like for something like the fourth or fifth time. Yeah. And Max Verstappen, gosh, what a year he's had. 
He uh, won the final Formula One Grand Prix. I think he's won like 15 Grand Prix this year. It's a yeah. record. Yeah, wow. Yeah. Now, if we look at our losers, oh, 15. That's just yeah. mind blowing. Yeah. I don't think uh, Schumacher or anyone like that. Yeah. yeah. I think they got to like 11. Yeah. But yeah, just amazing. So, if it, 15, 15 podiums in one season. Mm. Yeah. Ah, brilliant performance. Yeah. No, he, if he doesn't get, um, you know, the laureate sports person of the year, I'm not it. <laughs> yeah. Like, I reckon lay down Mazea to get that. Yeah. Now, my big loser is Indigenous All-Stars coach Ron Griffiths. Now, he wants an Indigenous side in the Rugby League World Cup. What a joke. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's just one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard, what, you know. What, why do you think that? Why? Well, because they're not a country. Like, it's all about, uh, you know, like us all competing as one. Yeah. And for so many, and he, you know, he thinks that, oh, it's going to promote the game with Indigenous, with the Indigenous population. Yeah. Well, most of our best players have been Indigenous players, and that's been going on for yeah. over 50 years, yeah. you know. They don't need to. Like, the game yeah. is already well established in that community and uh, you know we, we've had the national anthem changed recently yeah we're all we're all one yeah. three and one didn't yeah what was that line in the national anthem yeah i can't yeah. recall at the moment yeah was, mm. so basically what he was going to be doing was you know segregating again yeah yeah actually yeah. putting the whole process backwards exactly yeah so, no, just a ridiculous idea. Yeah, no. And, uh, yeah, I hope that doesn't get off the mark. Yeah. Now, what else did I have? Uh, oh, the in-goal area. I was watching the Rugby League World Cup final. <laughs> oh, my life. It was at um, Manchester United's home ground at Old Trafford there. Yeah. And the in-goal, like I kid you not, it looks like about a metre a metre long. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah. So it didn't take much for the ball to go over the dead ball line. <laughs> Could have just blown, you know, blowing it over. Oh, <laughs> yeah. the skinniest in goal areas of all time. Yeah. And yeah, so that's very questionable, you know, that decision to play the final there. Um, yeah, and the number system they have, you know, we've spoken about it before, just, uh, just silly. You know, and uh, how you can, why they do that, I've got no idea. But, uh, yeah, the World Cup, the FIFA World Cup ambassador, yeah, he's a big loser of the week. He's a big slap. Now, he yeah. made a comment. He's, he said that homosexuality is damaging for the mind. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> what a gibber. Yeah. And another loser is uh, Australia, yeah, the cricket team, Aussie cricket team, rotating their captains in the one-day series against England at the moment. So the first game, oh, you know, they made 
the decision. Oh, because like Aaron Finch, he's retired us, you know, from one day cricket. So he was the Aussie captain. Yeah. So they appointed their test captain, Pat Cummins, as the one day coach. Yeah. I mean, one day captain. Yeah. So, yeah, fair enough. It's a good decision. Yeah. So he's captain for the first game and he's not sided off nobbies for the second game. Yeah. And the, the captain was, they made Josh Hazelwood their captain. He's ah. never captained before. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so this week, they're playing again today, and, yeah. oh, it might be Steve Smith's turn this time. Uh, so they're just making yeah. mockery out of the, uh, you know. System. Yeah. Yeah, no, no consistency. Mm. Yeah, you pick a captain because you because he's the best guy to yeah you know, to to manage the team to be able to yeah you know, promote not uh, not promote but um yeah you know, get the team going and yeah you know, manage mm. the team well not not just oh you know change it every day yeah yeah that it'll, it'll end up being how our politics was a few years ago where the leader kept on changing. Mm. Yeah. yeah that's... And a lot of these players, they don't need to rest at the moment. Like, yeah. Or maybe the English players, you know, because they yeah. won the World Cup and, yeah. you know, they went through the whole, whole for, what, right through the tournament. But the, the Aussies didn't even make the semi finals. Yeah. You know? So yeah. they don't need to, you know, oh, I'm sore. I'm, you know, if you told Dennis Lilly back in his day to go and have a rest <laughs> or Jeff Thompson, they would have told you to get nicked. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, and I used to play like nearly every day. Yeah. 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 Back in the early 80s and the World Series Cup and tests every summer. And yeah. Along yeah. with that being a full time job. Oh, exactly. Yeah, or, or training in a career or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Now, the, as I said, the FIFA World Cup's kicked off. Now, get ready for this, Queen. Yeah. Now, the uh, 2014 World Cup was in Brazil. Guess how much they spent on stadiums? Two and a half billion. Uh, 18 billion. Yeah. Right. Russia, four years later, yeah. 2018, they spent 14 billion. Yeah. Have a guess how much money Qatar have spent? Probably 40 billion. <laughs> 220 billion dollars. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Unbelievable. Because before when they were given the World Cup, this is like 12 years ago, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And they only had one stadium in the whole country. <laughs> yeah. So they were told they had to build at least they used to they had to have at least eight stadiums. Yeah. So uh, yeah, one of the stadiums is uh, is demountable. So yeah. it's made out of four hundred and ninety seven, I think it is, shipping containers. Oh, yeah. And you know why they call it four nine seven? Because that's the uh, area code of Qatar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but we're going to have an episode in a few weeks uh, about the World Cup. And talk about the history of it, and yeah, it's got quite an interesting history. Yeah, anyway, this week, what's that? 
You've actually changed colour on the screen. Oh, I have too. What You've happened gone there? pink. <laughs> oh, you've been playing flicking no. some buttons, have you? No, I haven't touched a thing, mate. Oh, turn it up. No, I think you've done something there. <laughs> Probably that Dell computer. Was it a poltergeist or something? Yeah, something exactly. Good <coughs> yeah. Could be my computer. Mm. I was playing silly buggers last week. I know that. Yeah. Yeah, so this week we're going to talk about sports people and teams who gain revenge. So revenge can play a major role in how sports unfold. There are a few yeah. motivating factors in sports. Now, it may be bouncing back from a heavy defeat or bouncing back from an organisation that wronged them. So when you think of revenge in sport, what comes to your mind, Glenn? Well, yeah, well, there's always a state of origin between the two states. Mm. Yeah. And also in the cricket between Australia and New Zealand. Yeah, when, when one's doing well, where the other ones may struggle behind, and yeah, you know, we don't like it when the when the Kiwis come up and beat us. In rugby league, they always do it, so we don't we don't worry about that part. But I think yeah. in the cricket, there's a bit more chance of us beating the beating the Kiwis. But um, yeah, well, we saw that recently, you know, because Australia beat. New Zealand in the T20 World Cup final last year. And, yeah, the Australia played. The two teams met again in the first game of this um, tournament. Yeah, yeah. New Zealand smacked their bottoms by about 80-odd runs. Yeah. It's complete flogging. And, yeah, it was because Australia got beaten so heavily in that first game, they didn't make the semifinals. Yeah. Came back to bite them in the backside, didn't yeah. they? Yeah. Mm. Any other revenge moments? Definitely the state of origin. Yeah, yeah. There's yeah, no luck loss there. Yeah, yeah like even just like lo local sports fans and that. Mm. Yeah, you get a bit revengey. Yeah, <laughs> on teams travelling to the area. Yeah. yeah and that, you know, they're very loyal to some areas and that. And when, yeah. they, when they come up against. Um, yeah, it's very tribal, isn't it? Yeah, but also mm. in the past, like where, yeah, example in in football, soccer, if you want to say, yeah, where, where this area used to be zoned with Tari and and areas down there, and then the next season, oh, it's been rezoned, and you now got to play North, you got to play Kempsey, and oh, places okay. like that. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that gets a bit Yeah, you know, local sports fans following the local teams get a bit annoyed at that. Yeah, mm. you know, I you know, want it back because over the time when they're in the old zones, they build up that, that that revenge sort of thing against teams and that. Yeah. But yeah, then eventually over time in the new zone they, they build up the same issue. Yeah. yeah, with wanting to beat beat Southwest Rocks or Kempsey or yeah Maxwell or something like that. Well, it's like in the UK in uh, Hull. Like Hull's not a big place in the UK, yeah. but it's a big rugby league heartland. Yeah. So you 
the English Super League, you've got Hull FC and I think it's Hull Kingston Rovers. Yeah. And oh, they just hate each other's guts. <laughs> you know, yeah. like yeah, like if you're a Hull FC supporter and if you go into the pub of a Hull Kingston Rover, <laughs> yeah, you won't be invited in. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, apparently. But no, what I think of is uh you know, what you were talking about with the, you know, we spoke about the T20 in Australia and New Zealand in recent years. And, yeah, if we go back to 1980, yeah, so after losing that epic five-setter in 1980 in the Wimbledon final to Beyond Ball, John McEnroe came back in the following year in 1981 and won his first Wimbledon title over Ball. Yeah, so I think they made that into a movie too. Yeah. But, no, they, they've become great mates over the years, Beyond Borg and John McEnroe. Yeah. And I think even when we had um, Beyond Borg on, because he was a former Where Are They Now, yeah. Yeah, I think we mentioned that uh, John McEnroe even talk, tried to talk him out of his early retirement. Yeah. So, yeah, great deal of respect between the two. Yeah. And one that really comes to my mind is, uh, yeah, Manly. Manly Warringah in the NRL. So after they were thrashed by the Melbourne Storm in the 2007 NRL Grand Final, 34 points to eight. Yeah, the following year, the two teams met again in the Grand Final. And Manly came back and thrashed them. 40 points to nil. Yeah. And that's a record. That's a record scoreline. Yeah. In a grand final. Yeah. yeah. And if I go back to the 80s, you know, just that rivalry that Parramatta and Canterbury had. Yeah. And yeah, I remember 1985, I went to, because my dad, he would take myself and some of my sisters down to the Sydney cricket ground every year and yeah. would always go to the preliminary final, you know, and that would, Whoever would win that game would go into the grand final to yeah. make the team that was already in there. Yeah. And Parramatta played Canterbury. And uh, Canterbury just absolutely thrashed them. Yeah. It was something like 26 to nil. Yeah. And I remember going home that day just a loser. Like it was, <laughs> a, it was a long trip home back to the Blue Mountains that day. <laughs> Yeah, oh, I think we even left, you know, halfway through the second half. It was just embarrassing. Yeah. And, yeah, the following year, Perry came back in fine style and, yeah, they flogged Canterbury in the major semi-final with Brett yeah. Kenny having a blinder. Yeah. And they held on in the grand final to win four points to two against Canterbury, and that was Parra's last ever premiership. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, so that was great. And then well, we go look at cricket like in Ash the Ashes in 2006 07 when Australia thrashed England 5 0, um, you know, because they'd been beaten in two the previous year. Yeah. They'd lost the Ashes after about 16, 18 years or something. Uh, and Mitch yeah. Johnson having his revenge over the Barmy Army. Yeah. Remember, because their 2010 11 series. England thrashed Australia, you know. Yeah. I've never seen an Aussie side get beaten so heavily at home. And, yeah. and the English Barmy Army, they just gave it to Mitchell Johnson, uh, you know, that famous chant, you know, he bowls the left, he bowls to the right, that Mitchell Johnson, he's bowling his shite. And then 
Yeah, 2013, 2014. <laughs> he shut them up in the best way possible. He uh, got about 40-odd wickets for the series and absolutely terrorised the, the English batsmen. And Australia won that series 5-0. Yeah, so, but if... Have you got any uh, personal revenge moments? Oh, well, well yeah, yeah, there's a few with similar rivalry. But, yeah. but I won't speak about that. I'll speak about when I was younger in a disco at the old Port Macquarie RSL. Yeah. And, and there was this guy, you know, that he had a bit of a shot at me. He's told me what pipes. He was a big guy. I thought, I'm going to get you. So I came, so I snuck down around the track, you know, in the crowd, came up behind him and punched him and punched him in the back of each knee. We just just brought him straight to the ground. (laughs) (laughs) And then I just ducked away and he got up and he was looking around, but I was long gone. (laughs) (laughs) I actually did that to um, a mate. Up in Surface Paradise, it was crowded and I could see him because he was really tall. Yeah. So I snuck him behind him, I flicked him in the back of the knees and he stopped and he's looking around and I just, you know, squatted down so he couldn't see me. So then I waited until he started walking again and I went behind yeah. him and flicked him in the back of the knees again and then said, hello. <laughs> he goes, oh, it's you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah but there's sort of... Yeah, things like that that um, yeah. yeah, don't take revenge, just get even, or yeah, just do something, yeah, you know, to get back to them. Yeah, people like their their ways of you know when they see me around in public, they like to give their opinion or mm. yeah, or try and push their weight around. Yeah, I uh, I found something interesting during the week. Yeah, what's that? ABC. Their post office number in all capital cities. Do you know what it is? No. Was it two? No. no what's it? No. Three triple zero? No. Uh, 9994. Yeah? And you know what that is? What was that? That's Don Bradman's average. Oh, fair income. It is too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I so, knew that. so all the power boxes in the major capital cities in yeah. Australia has it, the number is after Don Bradman's average. Jeez. So yeah. there you go. Yeah, that that sort of blew me away. I wonder why that in each state, each state's capital city, the mm. number was always the same. But I yeah. didn't know how to that sort of relatable importance to it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, no, I never knew that. Yeah. Uh, all he had to do back in that his final game in 1948, he just had to get, what was it, four runs. Yeah. He would have got an average of 100. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah so the ABC might have had 100 for their post office box. Yeah. Yeah. And he got clean bowl for a duck. Yeah. It was it Eric Hollies, I think his name was. He was a leg spinner. Yeah. yeah. But no, with my revenge moments, yeah, they all straight away it comes to cricket. I remember um, 
I was playing in a grand final and this is the Upper Blue Mountains uh. competition and uh, I'd had a really good season with the bat, you know, and yeah. we're playing our arch rivals Blackheath in the final and yeah. I was given out for a duck LBW and I absolutely smashed it. Yeah. And I wasn't too happy about it. Yeah. <laughs> and I was given a big send-off. And, yeah. and then, yeah, the following season, I, was, I got my highest ever score yeah. and smashed a big big ton against them. Yeah. So, yeah, that put them in their place. And I remember I used to play against this team, in, you know, down near Penrith. And, yeah, it was the suburb was called Glenmore Park. Oh, yeah. And I used to call them Sledgemore Park because yeah. all they would do from the time you came onto the field, yeah. all they would do, they would just sledge sledge you like there's no tomorrow. Yeah. I'd call you everything under the sun. Yeah. And I used to get runs against them all the time because <laughs> used to fire me up. Yeah. And, yeah, you know, there was a, a quote that Warney said once in his final test match to Paul Collingwood he was sledging him. And Warney was, you know, smashing them around. And he said to Paul Collingwood, you're making me concentrate. You're making me concentrate. <laughs> and, yeah, I used to love it when I was getting verbal because, yeah, it did used to make you concentrate a bit more. And yeah, yeah. I remember one of their bowlers and, you know, he was just an absolute dickhead, uh, you know, and he just, he, he was a bloody useless player and he's uh, bowling to me and I'm smashing him around and, and I hit him for this six, and I go, mate, you know what it looks like? Go fetch it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 well, yeah, in Australia, like Christmas Day, some traditions are they have a game of cricket. Yeah. And, and, and all during Christmas morning and, and lunch, they'd be saying, cricket this afternoon, you're in first, I'm going to get you at first bowl. Mm. And it was yeah. just at me all the time all throughout the day. <laughs> so, yeah, it came around to the – Came out to the game and went out of the back and he's still really sledging me. Yeah, I'm going to get your first go. you got no Bad. hope. Anyway, he, bowl, <laughs> he bowled it and I just smashed it. And they got a really Bad. large two-story uh, two house. And I just cleared it. I said, righto, Dad, go and get it. Mm. <laughs> yeah, well, all of a sudden it's like you can see the ball like a basketball. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But um, when he came on to bat this bloke, one of the guys on my team, he says, oh, you know, because we were all giving it to him. And one of them says, oh, you got 120 runs to catch up the toner, mate. <laughs> he uh, got uh, out for a duck. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but I can remember this one. This was going right back to 1983. And it was one of those games at the Sydney Cricket Ground um, that my dad took me to and my sisters and... Parramatta was playing Manly. Yeah. And, you know, they had a big rivalry going then. You know, they played each other in the 82 grand final and they ended up playing each other in the 83 grand final. But, yeah, a few weeks before the 83 grand final, Manly, I was at the game and Manly beat Para pretty easily. And then, you know, when we're leaving the ground early, you know, five minutes before full time because there's no way Para is going to fight back and win. Yeah. All these manly supporters are yelling out, you know, to, to myself and the, these other para supporters. Yeah. Oh, I hope your train crashes. I hope your train <laughs> crashes. Yeah. And then two weeks later in the grand final, Parrot kicked Manly's butt. 
Uh. So I'm thinking, I think of that bloke to this very day, and I think, mate, what goes around comes around. Yeah, the old karma, karma comes. Back. And I'm thinking, there's no buses that go up the, there's no trains that go up the peninsula. I yeah. hope your bus crashes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But no, we'll go on to our quiz now. It's quiz time. Right, so we've got five questions today. Hey, and I've got the question. We'll have some thinking music, then I'll give the answer. So they all relate to revenge in sport. Right, question one. What country was defeated by Argentina in the 1986 World Cup soccer final and then defeated Argentina in the 1990 World Cup final in Italy? And the answer is West Germany. Right, question two. What NRL team was involved in a salary cap scandal in 2010, was stripped of their 2007-09 premierships, and then legally won the 2012 title? The answer is the Melbourne Storm. Right, third question. We've got a NFL question this time. I've made a mistake there with the I've put NRL quarterback. It should be NFL. Right. So what legendary NFL quarterback was traded to the Kansas City Chiefs in 1983? And then in 1994, led the Chiefs to victory against the team who traded him and who he was most famous for playing for. And the answer is Joe Montana. Right, question four. What famous Aussie cricketer was heckled badly by English crowds at the 2019 Cricket World Cup and then went on the score 774 runs at an average of 110.57 with the bat. So, yeah, so that was in the 2019 Ashes series that he got that average. Uh, so the answer is Steve Smith. Right, last question. We're going to go back to America. So it's an NBA one. So what NBA side was defeated by the Golden State Warriors in the 2015 NBA playoffs and then led by LeBron James gained sweet revenge and defeated the Warriors to win the 2016 playoffs? And the answer is the Cleveland Cavaliers. So they came back from 3-1 down to win four games to three and claim their first title. So they came back in a big way and claim revenge. All right, so we're going to our Who Am I now? This week's Who Am I? So this week we're going to, it's a team. It's a team we're going to talk about, right? So they're an Aussie rules team. A very famous one. So I'm an Australian rules football club. You play... Be playing the AFL. Now, according to Wikipedia, my first 
first game played was in 1873. And in 1878, I was admitted to the Victorian Football Association and then the Victorian Football League. So it became the AFL in 1990. So it became a national competition. So I am based in Melbourne and I'm one of the most well-known and successful clubs in Australia. I've won 16 premierships, four consecutive titles from 1891 to 1894, and my last title was in the year 2000. Now, one of my most famous grand final victories was in 1984. Now, in, 1980, in the 1983 grand final, I was absolutely thrashed by Hawthorne by 83 points in front of a crowd of over 110,000 spectators. Now, in the 1984 Premiership Decider, I was out for sweet revenge against Hawthorne. However, things did not go according to plan, and at three-quarter time, I was down by 23 points. Now, in the final quarter, I got off to the perfect start and scored a goal in the first minute, and soon later, I hit the front for the first time in the match when centre Leon Baker kicked his fourth goal. I went on to win the match with, with some great individual performances, especially from Billy Duckworth. Uh, he won the Norm Smith medal for that game, the best player on the field. Now, Tim Watson, uh, now Baker, Shane Hurd, and Neil Clark. And it was my first premiership title in 18 years. Now, in the premiership decided 12 months later, in 1985, I smacked Hawthorne by 78 points. My colours are red and black, and my nickname is the Bombers. My name is... We'll find out about the team at the end of the episode. Where are they now? Right, so this week we're going to go back to the world of tennis, and we're going to talk about two very famous tennis players from the, oh, let's say the... The, uh, mainly the, the mid to late 80s and into the 90s. So their names are Stefan Edberg and Boris Boom Boom Becker. <laughs> you remember those two, Glenn? Yep, so do. Yeah, so they they certainly um, took different paths in life, didn't they? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> As we're going to find out. Yeah. yeah. One went the right way, the other one went the wrong way. <laughs> Yeah, he was a bit influenced by greed. Yeah. So let's talk about Mr. Boris Becker first. So he's a German former world number one tennis player. Now, he was born in Lehmann, West Germany in 1967. And according to InsideTennis.com, his parents Elvira and Karl Heinz, named Becker after the Russian poet and novelist Boris Pasternak. Now, his father began a tennis centre in Lehman, where Becker learnt to play tennis at seven years of age. Now, as a junior player, he won his first South German tennis championship at 10 years of age. Now, you've got to think back in these days, this was in the middle of the Cold War. So you had uh, Germany split in two. So you had West Germany and then you had East Germany. So East Germany was communist. And yeah. West Germany was democratic, yeah, more Western country. Yeah. 
So I became professional in 1984 under the guidance of Romanian-born coach Gunther Bosch. And as a teenager, Becker won the Tennis World Young Masters at the NEC in Birmingham in 1985. Now, Becker was known for his booming, powerful serve. That's how he got the nickname Boom Boom. Now, apparently he got his nickname from a guy called Vijay Armbrage. Now, he was a very famous Indian tennis player. Yeah. Now, you know what his claim to fame is, Glenn? BJ no. Armitrage? No. He featured in a James Bond movie. Yeah. I'm just trying to think which movie it was, which Bond movie it was. Or, oh, it escapes me for now. But, yeah, when VJ Armitrage was, uh, saw him play one day at a young age, that's, he gave him the nickname Boom 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 because he'd never seen a, a player serve so have such a powerful serve. Yeah, so he also had great volleying skills at the net. Uh, Becker. Yeah, so he first went to Wimbledon in 1983 as a junior, and that's when he uh, first started playing Stefan Edberg, who was just, you know, he was just by far the best junior player in the world at that time. And, yeah, every time he'd play Becker, they'd, he'd give him a tennis lesson, you know. It was just, just yeah. way too good for him. Yeah. Yeah, but he had brilliant athleticism at the net, Becker did, which included the diving vault. I remember him doing a lot of that in the 86 Wimbledon final against Ivan Lendl, which he won, uh, which made him very popular and the powerful forehand and powerful return of serve. Now, Becker would occasionally change his style of play and try to hit from the baseline a strategy which was often criticised by commentators. Now, Becker was known for his emotional outbursts on the court, and when he thought he was playing badly, he often would give himself a verbal tongue lashing and was often criticised by commentators. Now, at the 1987 Australian Open, copped a $2,000 fine. Now, <laughs> that's like just spare change in your pocket. For that. Yeah. You know? that's, uh... Someone... Learns that amount of money. Yeah. You know, they get more than that today, you know, probably 20 odd thousand, but, you know, they earn millions every year. So do you think they care? Nope. No. Yeah. So Becker won his first top level singles title in 1985, the Queen's Club. And two weeks later, he stunned the sporting world when he became the youngest player at 17 years of age win the men's Wimbledon singles title when he defeated South African Kevin Curran in the final. Now, the win also made Becker the first unseated player and the first German to win a Wimbledon singles title. Now, at the time, he was ranked 20 in the world. Now, only the top 16 back then were ranked. So, you know, if that happened today, he would have been ranked. Yeah, now Becker went on to defend his Wimbledon title in 1986, defeating Ivan Lendl in the final. And in 1987, he lost in the second round to the late Aussie player, Peter Doohan, who was ranked 70 in the world. Now, Becker went on to have a great career, winning six Grand Slam singles titles. So there were three Wimbledon, two Australian Opens and one US Open. And he won three year-end championships, 13 Masters titles, 
and he also won an Olympic gold medal in doubles. Yeah, so he said to be successful, Becca, he said it's very important that you have a love of the sport. So even if there's no credit, you still got to have a love of the game yeah. or else you won't, yeah. you know, you'll, it, just, yeah, some, you'll it, lose interest pretty quickly. Yeah. yeah, if you're only in there for the money, yeah, it's not mm. worth it. Yeah. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Now, Stefan Edberg. So he's a Swedish former world number one tennis player who was well known for his brilliant serve and volley style of tennis. Now, he used a, a less powerful serve and he mainly used a kick or slice serve, which allowed him that extra time to get to the net where he would quickly often gain control of the point. Now, Edberg had sufficient ground strokes with his one-handed backhand being very effective. Now, he was born in Vastavik, Sweden in 1966, and he began playing tennis age seven. So, yeah, they basically began at the same age playing tennis, and he excelled as a junior player, winning all four Grand Slam junior titles in 1983. Now, he is the only player to have won the junior Grand Slam. I actually remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I remember when he was um, a junior and he was he had to win the Australian Open to claim that title. Now, he, he, late, he later that year turned professional and won his first doubles title in Basel. Now, uh, yeah, so that's according to linesman. Oh, this is what I was going to talk to you about. Now, I never knew this. Apparently, um, he was playing in a, the 1983 US Open, right? Yeah. And I think this was in the main draw. It was in a, in doubles. And uh, he accidentally killed a linesman. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's hit a ball. It's hit the linesman. Yeah. And, yeah, a short time later, the linesman has a heart attack and dies. Yeah. Never knew that. Yeah, I wonder how he felt dealing with that. You know, it would have been very yeah. tough for him. Yeah, I guess he yeah. would have felt some responsibility for it. Yeah. What do you, What do you think? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it takes me back to when um, Philip Hughes. Exactly. Yeah. When he got yeah bowled and the ball came up and hit him at the back of the head mm. and took him down, he, he died from that. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. it would be very unsettling. Oh, exactly. And traumatised the, you know, the person who did it. Not, not meaning to do it on purpose, but just a, mm. a freak accident. Yeah. Yeah, to be able to deal with that. Look, honestly, I wouldn't be able to. You know, oh, I'd find it really hard. If, if I did something for, like that, I would, I would quit it there and then. I'd go right out. Mm. Yeah, I've done something. Even though it was an accident, I've done something. Yeah. I couldn't risk having it done again. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I've got a lot of admiration for Sean Abbott. Like, he's the guy who bowled that ball to yeah. Philip Hughes, and it was just a complete freakish accident, you yeah. know? Like, and he's, you know, being recalled into the Australian team today. Like, yeah. And yeah, he... he uh, the way he's put that behind him, you know, because it would have affected him greatly. Yeah. And, yeah, he's uh, been able to, 
you know, yeah, become, you know, an international player and yeah. Yeah, look, you look back now, what's that? Oh, eight years ago. Yeah. yeah. It's coming up to eight years since that happened. Yeah, because when, when they did the bypass of Maxwell and built mm. the new bridge that they named in honour of uh, Philip Hughes. Yeah. Yeah, the Philip Hughes Bridge. That's right. Yeah, yeah Maxwell, isn't it? Because that's down your way. Yeah, 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 that's just sort of north of Kempsey, but south of Coffs mm. Harbour. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so Edberg won his first top-level singles title in 1984 in Milan and won the tennis tournament at the 1984 Los Angeles Olympics when it was an exhibition event. Now, Edberg was a typical Swede player, cool, calm and collective, like Beyond Borg, the former Where Are They Now? And Mats Willander. Oh, yes, he was one of my favourite players, Mats Willander. Now, Edberg won the US Indoors in 1985 and then in December 1985, he defeated fellow Swede and defending champion Mats Willander in straight sets to win his first Grand Slam singles title. Now, in January 1987, Edberg defended his Australian Open singles title when he defeated Aussie Pat Cash in five sets. Yeah, I remember that match very fondly because, yeah, Cash fought back from, uh, I think it was like two sets down, and it went right down to the wire. This was, That was the very last Australian Open they played on grass. Yeah, the last Australian Open they played at the old um, Kuyong courts. Yeah. Then they moved to where they are now, closer uh, to the city there in uh, Melbourne Park. Yeah. Yeah, so Edberg also won the 1987 Australian Open doubles title with fellow Swede Anders Yarin and then the US Open doubles. So he was a very accomplished player in both singles and doubles. So 1987 was a great year for him. Now, Edberg went on to have a career and he also won six Grand Slam singles titles like Becker. So, yeah, so three Grand Slam men's doubles titles he won as well between 1985 and 1996. Now, Edberg is with John McEnroe, the only man in the open era to be ranked world number one in both singles and doubles. Now, Edberg also won four Master Series titles four championship series titles and was ranked in the world top five for nine consecutive years. Now he won two Australian Open titles, two Wimbledon and two US Open titles. Never won a French. Yeah, yeah. that's surprising. I, yeah, because Becker never, never won a French either. So he was part of four Swedish Davis Cup victories. Now let's look at the Edberg. Becker-Wimbledon rivalry. Now, in the 1988 men's singles final at um, Wimbledon, it began one of Wimbledon's great rivalries. Now, Edberg was playing in his first Wimbledon final, while Becker was featuring in his third final. Now, Becker won the first set, six games to four, and then the Swede bounced back and won the match, which was spread out over two days due to rain. Now, Edberg won the next three sets, 7-6, Oh, and I've never, and I've kicked myself, you know, I've been to London so many times yeah. and I've never made it to Wimbledon. Yeah. I've gone gone through Wimbledon a lot in the train, yeah. but I've never got off and gone to Wimbledon to check it out. Yeah. Yeah. 
It's uh, like right up there on my bucket list. Yeah. Yeah, especially to go see the, the, the famous centre court. Now, it was Edberg's first Wimbledon title and third Grand Slam singles title. Now, 12 months later, in 1980, in the 1989 final, the two met again in the final. Now, in the lead-up, Edberg appeared to have the edge and defeated Becker in the semi-finals at the French Open. However, Becker gained revenge, winning convincingly in straight sets. Six love, seven six, six four. Now, it was the Germans' third Wimbledon title at just 21 years of age. 1989 was a great year for Becker as he went on to defeat Ivan Lendl and win the US Open final and he helped West Germany retain the Davis Cup. Now, Becker was named Player of the Year by the ATP Tour. However, the number one ranking still eluded him, which was held by Lendl. Now, yeah, so Becker said you learn equally by uh, winning. Yeah, so you, you basically, but you, you seem to forget the wins that you have. You learn more from your losses. Yeah. Yeah, so you learn from more from the unfortunate emotion. Yeah, and you, you know what he did, like when he would have have a loss, you know, in a big game like a Wimbledon final, he'd yeah. go away and think about it. He'd have yeah. time to himself and think about, you know, why he lost. What can he do next time? Yeah. And he said, you know, winning at that level, it's not about luck. It's all about preparation mm. and having good people around you. Yeah, and I know, you know, we spoke about that he used to really let his emotion go on the court, like he'd start screaming, you know. And, yeah. and uh, what do you think, Glenn? Do you think, uh, you know, showing your emotions is important? Oh, yeah, yeah, sure is. Yeah. yeah. And if, if anyone has a problem with that, that's their problem. Mm. You know, because I believe in... Not not letting it bottle up. Yeah. Uh, if you need to show your emotions to be able to communicate, don't be afraid. Yeah. Mm. Uh, if you think it, yeah, you know, like we've been, like we've learned in the men's grip, yeah, you know, to bottle it up is very dangerous. Mm. Yeah. You know, to be able to talk you know, through issues, yeah, you know, and let it go. Well, yeah, that's the way it is. Yeah. But but um but yeah you know, over dramatizing it yeah you know, putting it on yeah you know, that's a bit bit strange yeah. yeah and we were actually talking about this in men's group last week exactly what you were saying yeah, yeah. um yeah that a lot of the time it, it is a very good thing to show your emotion let yeah. your emotion out yeah that's exactly yeah. yeah. And this is what Boris Becker said, you know, sport is good because it shows someone's emotions and personality very quickly. Yeah. Yeah. And it helps, you know, release that frustration. Um, yeah. But, yeah, you know, he showed that on the court, but after the game was over, yeah, yeah. it wouldn't take him long to, to put that loss behind him and yeah. think about what next, you know. So, so what about an old mate that played tennis? That used to lo lose it all the time. Do you think that? Oh, uh, McEnroe or Kyrgios? McEnroe. Oh, yeah. 
do you think that was fair dinkum or it was just a part of that? Uh, a bit of both. Yeah. Yeah, it was definitely a lot of it was used, um, well, I guess, you know, because he had a temperamental um, manner. Yeah. yeah. But a lot of it was to put off his opponent yeah. as well. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I think he's even admitted that over yeah. the years. Yeah. yeah. A lot of it was to distract his opponent and try and get an edge. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So if we go to the 1990 men's Wimbledon final now, and Becker and Edberg, they met for the third consecutive year. Now, an abdominal injury forced Edberg to withdraw during the Australian Open final when playing Yvonne Lendl with the match delicately poised. Now, in their third encounter, Becker went in as favourite on a glorious sunny day, and this was their closest final and was a classic match. Now, Edberg got off to a blistering start, winning the first two sets, six games to two and six games to two with Becker out of sync and struggling with his serve. However, Becker regrouped and fought back strongly. Yeah. Winning the third set, six games to three, and the fourth set, six games to three. And Edberg was all of a sudden struggling with his serve and with the wind. Now, in the fifth and deciding set, Becker appeared set for victory when he broke the sweet serve and was up a break and leading three games to one. However, this time, Edberg gained revenge, winning the fifth and final set, six games to four, to claim his second Wimbledon title at just 24 years of age. And the two players hugged at the net. Edberg threw his famous shirt into the crowd. All sorts of wolf whistles were going on, <laughs> and it was a great moment for Edberg and his family and supporters. Now, a month later, Edberg went on to become world number one when he won a tournament in Cincinnati and held on to the number one ranking for 72 weeks. Now, all three Wimbledon finals between the two were played in great spirit. Now, uh, one thing, you know, that Boris Becker says is, and Ashley Barty was saying this as well, like, although tennis is like an individual sport, it's also mainly a team sport because... At that level, you know, because of all the uh, the staff that are around assisting you, you know, like massage yeah. therapists and coaches and yeah. yeah. So whenever it was interesting, like whenever Ash Barty was interviewed, she wouldn't talk about herself. It was all about a team, you know. My team is doing this. My yeah. team is doing yeah. that. Yeah. So yeah, it was like she was uh, playing on a footy side. <laughs> yeah. 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 Anyway, the two met at, in the final at Queen's Club six years later with Becker winning the match. Now, Edberg retired later that year and went on to play competitive squash and became an elite squash player. Now, in 2008, he joined the Black Rock Tour of Champions, which is a tour for professional tennis players who have retired from the ATP Tour. He later went on to coach the great Roger Federer in between 2013 to 2015, and he was inducted into the International Tennis Hall of Fame in 2004. Now, Becker had most success on grass courts and on carpet, while Edberg favoured the fast courts, mainly grass and hard court. Now, Becker retired from the tour in 1999. Now, he won singles titles in 14 countries, and in 2004, 
1983, was inducted into the International Tennis Hall of Fame. Now, he occasionally plays on the seniors tour and in world team tennis. And according to Radio Times, he has also worked as a commentator at Wimbledon for the BBC and on Eurosport. Now, he also went on the coach. Now, he coached Novak Djokovic for three years and contributed to six of his uh, Grand Slam victories while coaching him. And they parted ways at the end of 2016. So although Becker and Edberg, you know, they had this um, rivalry, you know, in their playing careers, Ugh. now they had this rivalry going on in their coaching careers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because yep. one, you know, they were coaching uh, two of the best players in the world. Yeah. Now in June 2015, on the 30th anniversary of his first Wimbledon win, Becker released an autobiography titled Boris Becker's Wimbledon. My Life and Career at the All England Club. Now, Becker also released a book called The Player in 2003, which made world headlines. Now, the book went into depth in regards to his divorce from Barbara Feltus and a sexual encounter with a Russian waitress in 1999. Yeah, so he's been a naughty boy. <laughs> now, now, it also included revelations of his addictions to painkillers and sleeping pills during his career, a successive alcohol intake, which according to InsideTennis.com was a way of coping with loneliness while on the road. Now, it made the Sunday Times bestseller list, this book. Now, Becker released in 2009 an online media platform called Boris Becker TV. And in 2005-2006, he was a team captain on the popular British TV sports quiz show, They Think It's All Over, on BBC One. Now, he also appeared once on the TV show, TV show Top Gear in a flash car. Did you ever watch that TV show, Glenn? Uh, Top Gear? Yeah, yeah, I used to be a fan of it until it got to a, a point mm. where Jeremy Clarkson was just going... Too overboard and too way yeah. too opinionated of yeah you know, things like climate change and yeah you know, yeah. Did you it, see the episode on Boris Becker? Oh, don't know. I may have. Yeah, yeah. Just depending how it was, but yeah, you because know, it he lost it and you know lost the show and mm. yeah, you know, just he became one of those that thought yeah you know, his opinion was more important than anyone else's. Yeah, Jeremy Clarkson. Yeah. yeah. Mm. So also in retirement, Becker spent 10 years on the economic advisory board of football giants Bayern Munich. Now, in 2017, he was named head of the men's tennis of the German Tennis Federation and became a patron of the Elton John AIDS Foundation. Now, according to poker.co.uk, Becker became a noted poker player and appeared on the European Poker Tour and the World Poker Tour and won more than £90,000 in career earnings from playing poker. Yeah. <whistles> Never knew that. It's the same as what Warney did, didn't he? When yeah. he retired from cricket, he toured as a poker player around the yeah. world. Yeah. Mm. Now, in June 2017, Becker was declared bankrupt by the bankruptcy and company's court in London. 
Now, it's centred around a, a debt from two years earlier from an unpaid loan on his estate in Mallorca, Spain. Now, Justin Hugler in the Daily Telegraph reports that a former business partner sued Becker in a Swiss court for $41 million they believe they were owed. Now, Ed Berg, he was the recipient of sportsmanship awards during his career and won an ATP sportsmanship award five times. Now, in recognition of this achievement, the ATP renamed the award in 1996 the Stefan Edberg Sportsmanship Award. Right, so let's look at what Boris Becker and Stefan Edberg are doing today. Now, Boris Becker, now as we'll find out, their lives have gone completely down different paths. Yeah. One good, one bad. Yeah. Boris Becker is today 54 years of age and in April... Gosh, that's scary. I remember when he was 17. Uh, that only seems like yesterday when he uh, first won that Wimbledon uh, title. Yeah. Now, in April this year, he was jailed for two and a half years for hiding 2.5 million pounds of assets and loans to avoid paying debts. Uh, now, BBC News' Andre Roden-Paul reports that the case centred on the 2017 back bankruptcy and that the judge said Becker had shown no remorse or acceptance or guilt. The judge informed Becker, quote, while I accept your humiliation as part of the proceedings, there has been no humility, end of quote. Now, it's been a real fall from grace for Becker. Now, he was given a suspended sentence back 20 years earlier for tax evasion in Germany. So he'd already been warned and already been in trouble for doing, you know, similar behaviour. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah, eventually the courts lost patience. And so what, what do you think, Glenn? Do you think sports stars and personalities, do you think they're, they feel they're exempt from the law? Yeah, yeah I do. Yeah, some people. Yeah, I think, mm. that, yeah. Yeah, they're actually... Deserving of the money because they do, do yeah, because what because who they are, what they do, yeah, mm. is worth more to the, the general public, so to speak. Yeah, and, and the, I don't know, yeah, the, I, yeah, this is my money I spent all this time mm. building up my talents and that to um mm. yeah deserve it, yeah, yeah. Yep, so I so think they're a bit like protected species sometimes, eh? Yeah, yeah, they, yeah that, that's right. Do uh, you remember the movie Young Einstein? Uh, I never saw it, but I remember it. Yeah, Cause, cause it was about 30 years ago, eh? Yeah, because he, he, he went over to America to become a an actor and apparently mm. um he got caught in some – caught into – Helping rob a bank, and then someone, oh, okay. yeah, the police came to arrest him, and someone said, "Oh, but he's an actor," and <laughs> and at that time they they wouldn't arrest actors because yeah. they arrest actor it it would reduce yeah morale in, the, in America, yeah, mm. so they let actors do whatever they want. <laughs> Get away with whatever they want. Mm. Yeah, so. 
Yeah. But, but I, I believe in it doesn't matter who you are. We all have, all have the same responsibilities. Doing the yeah. right thing by ourselves, our family and our community. Yeah. Well, it comes down to choices, eh? Yep. Yeah. yeah. No, I guess, you know, the AJ Simpson case, you know, yeah. yeah. He got a lot of away with a lot of stuff, eh? And yeah. I think a lot of that came down to his, uh, yeah, how famous he was. And, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Becca had also made payments from business accounts to others, including his ex-wife. Now, Becca was also charged with illegally failing to hand over trophies to cover some of his debt payments. Now, Becca is expected to serve half his sentence. What do, what do you think, Glenn? You reckon that's right or wrong? He should get a an easier sentence. Nah, do you nah. think he should get half his sentence or a full sentence? A full sentence. Yeah. If he's, yeah. If, he's, if anyone else would cop the full sentence for what for the same sort of crime, mm. same yeah under the same conditions, yeah, he should get it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. We just saying in the news yesterday, David Warner. You know how he was involved in that. Uh, Sandpaper Gate. Yeah. Well, he's pretty much a mastermind behind it from what it was made out. And he's, yeah. uh, you know, trying to get, well, he was basically banned from captaincy for life. Yeah. But he's trying to get all that overturned, like thinking, oh, you know, I, it's like I didn't shoot anyone, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, what do you think? You think uh, that sentence should still hold yeah because yeah, yeah. he really did bring the game in the disrepute didn't he yeah well that's it yeah if you break the law if you break the rules that's it oh yeah yeah you gotta stand by your decision you just can't compare it to mm. yeah at least i didn't kill someone or or whatever you know it'd be it'd be going back to the the, the bowler that bowled that ball that unfortunately took Philip Hughes's life. Yeah. Yeah, that wasn't done on purpose. No. That was purely an accident, but, but, but this Sandgate was. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it, it was done on purposely. It was planned, it was orchestrated. Yeah. yeah. If, if you go and break the speed limit on the highway or around the Goldie, you know, it doesn't matter who you are, you still get the fine or you still get a night in the slammer. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. Yeah. yeah. So according to Jamie Grierson in The Guardian, Becker is currently incarcerated at HM Prison, Huntercombe, which is a facility used to detain foreign criminals and where they are deported from the UK after their sentence is served. Yeah, it'd be interesting, you know, when he finishes his sentence, like basically his life's a bit screwed, isn't it? Yeah, he's he's gonna lose a lot of opportunities, and yeah, he's basically got to start from scratch. But but then but then again, yeah, they can move to a different country, and yeah, which yeah. they may not be as well known, and start yep. again because because that's what Alan Bond did after mm. he served his sentence. Uh, he did, he, didn't he? Yeah. What he did, he, he then went over to England and just. Did the same thing, do a start up a business. And, 
Mm. Uh, yeah, what someone that's yeah, self-made millionaire has done it, and if they did lose it, they've still got the talent there to restart it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he came back to Australia eventually, and it was all forgotten, eh? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so... Uh, yeah, so Becker had two children from his marriage to Barbara Feltus, who he married in 1993. Noah Gabriel was born in 1994 and was named after Becker's friends, Yannick Noah and Peter Gabriel. Remember him, Peter Gabriel, the singer? Yeah, it's Sledgehammer. You saw yeah, him. Sledgehammer. Yeah. He had those funny video clips, didn't yeah, he? Yeah. He, uh, very. He, he was the first one to make a, a music animation clip. Oh, was he? Yeah. yeah. And it, yeah, that, that took a very long time. To produce, mm. yeah, yeah. Oh, would have, especially you see the video clip from that sledgehammer song. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. So his second child, um, Elliot Elias Balthasar, was born in 1999. So this one was from the affair <laughs> yeah. with the Russian maid. Now, in 2001, Becker acknowledged that he was the father of a daughter. Oh, no, this was a, a different one. Yeah, uh -huh. I got it wrong. Sorry about that. Uh -huh. He was the father of a daughter called Anna, the result of the sexual encounter he had in 1999 with the Russian waitress. Now, he first denied he was the father. However, he reversed his decision once a DNA test confirmed he was the father. Uh -huh. Now, Becker remarried in 2009 to Dutch model Charlie Kissenberg. And according to tvguide.com, they had a son called Amadeus who was born in London in 2010. So, yeah, apparently he lives very close to the Wimbledon courts. Yeah. yeah. Now, they separated after nine years of marriage. And in 2019, he dated British model. So he dated a British model and when convicted this year, he was in a relationship with Lillian DiCavallo Montero. Yeah. I think that's how you pronounce it. Yeah. Now, let's look at Stefan Edberg. <laughs> so he's behaved a bit better, yeah. thank God. Now, he is 56 years of age and is much more well-behaved. He is married to... Annette Yort Olsen. Now, she was once in a relationship with Matt Swalander. Now, this is going back, you know, way back in the 80s before, yeah, he was married, Stefan Edberg. Now, according to ref.india.abroad, they have two children, Emily and Christopher. Edberg is a fan of English football team Leeds United and follows ice hockey especially the Swedish competition. Yeah. He loves to still keep fit and still play squash. Now, Edberg talks about what a special place Wimbledon is, especially the feeling you get when you walk through the gates. And he was always made to feel welcome when he returns. Now, he appeared this year on Centre Court with many other former men's and ladies singles champions from the past, such as Leighton Hewitt, Roger Fedra, Goran Ivanisevic, Martina Hingis, and Rafael Nadal. 
Yeah, so he's lived a much quieter life than Boris Becker. Yeah. Um, you know, he's preferred to stay out of the spotlight. Yeah. Now, Becker and Edberg met 35 times between 1984 to 1996. Becker led the overall head-to-head count, 25 matches to 10. And Becker won all three of their Davis Cup matches. Now, Edberg won three out of the four times they met in Grand Slams, though. Now, according to Sarah Crompton in The Telegraph, Roger Federer said after his 2001 Wimbledon triumph that the Becker-Edberg rivalry in Wimbledon finals was his inspiration for deciding to play tennis instead of soccer. Now, the two continued their rivalry as coaches through the Djokovic-Fedra rivalry. Now, Edberg, when interviewed in TennisUSA.org, says the 1988 Wimbledon final was the best of the three finals for him, as it was his first Wimbledon title, and said that in 1989, Boris came out and destroyed me. I remember that 1988 Wimbledon final because I was at um, in Brisbane at, staying at my sister's place. Yeah. That was at uh, the World Expo when yeah. it was on in Brisbane. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah, I went to that. Yeah, it was yeah. good, eh? Yeah. Yeah, all of different pavilions from around the world. And, yeah. Yeah. Because I remember in 88, Pat Cash was the defending Wimbledon final and Becker beat him in the quarterfinals. Yeah. Oh, spewing. Um, Yeah, but the two had a very similar career win-loss record with Becker just having the advantage, 76.9% to 74.7%. Now, incredibly, they only met four times in Grand Slams. Now, Becker said that Edberg was his toughest rival and was a tough competitor. However, was a very nice guy and the two have a tremendous amount of respect for each other. Now, Edberg said that Becker was very important to his tennis and was a great challenge that drove him forward. The two played against each other over 50 times, including juniors. Now, the two often liked to catch up and reminisce and are good friends. It was a golden age of tennis. So, yet you know, a lot of these uh, men's tennis players back then, they were winning Grand Slams when they were teenagers. Yeah. You know, like Melander and Cash and, yeah, I think McEnroe won when he was about 19. And, yeah, yeah Lendl, you know, was around then, Connors and Lacan. It was a great time in tennis. I remember I was a tennis fanatic. Yeah. Yeah. And it was just because of all these names, you know, they all had character. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. That's the story of Boris Becker and Stefan Edberg. Mm. So we'll look at some other revenge stories in sport now. So, oh, we've spoken about this man lots of times, the great Muhammad Ali. Now, according to Ed Novello in the bleacherreport.com, he lost only five times. However, when he did, he would avenge the loss in the rebound. Now, after losing the fight of the century against Joe Frazier, Ali won the rematch by unanimous decision. Now, when he lost to Ken Norton in the rematch, Ali won their rematch by split decision and won back his heavyweight title. And when he defeated Michael Spinks towards the end of his career, directly after the loss in the rematch, Ali won by a unanimous decision and won back his third heavyweight title. Now, Andy Murray. 
Now, with his rivalry with uh, Roger Federer and Novak Djokovic. Now, the Swedish, the, the Scottish tennis player won three Grand Slam singles titles. However, he had to wait a while for his breakthrough Grand Slam victory. Now, Murray struggled initially in the finals against the rest of the big four. So the others were Federer, Nadal and Djokovic. Now, Murray lost his first four major finals. He lost three of them to Federer and one to Djokovic. Now, after losing to Federer in the Wimbledon final in 2012, he came back a month later and gained revenge, defeating Federer in the men's singles final at the London Olympics, winning the Olympic gold medal at Wimbledon. Now, he defeated Djokovic in 2012 to win the US Open title to win his first major, and he became the first Brit to win a Grand Slam singles title since Virginia Wade in 1977. Now, he defeated Djokovic to win Wimbledon in 2013. Now, Dion Sanders. Now, he is the only player to appear in both a Super Bowl and a World Series. Now, yeah, we spoke about this guy. Oh, I think it was in our episode, you know, where they were talking about athletes that um, excelled in two sports. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, we're talking about this bloke. And now, according to Chris Rowling in the bleacherreport.com, now, in the NFL, Sanders was not a popular guy when he returned to Atlanta in 1994 as a member of the San Francisco 49ers. Now, he left two Atlanta teams in the previous year, leaving the Atlanta Falcons and the Atlanta Braves. So he definitely didn't like Atlanta. Uh -huh. Now, when returning to Atlanta, Sanders had a blinder against the Falcons and orchestrated a 42 points to three thrashing of the Falcons. Yeah. He even returned an interception 93 yards for a touchdown. Now, Sanders couldn't resist and gave a parting sledge. He said, quote, now I've got one thing to say. This is my house. I built this and this is my house. I don't care if I'm with the Falcons or not. This is my house and will always be my house. <laughs> <laughs> End of quote. He didn't miss. Mm. Now, Steve Smith. Now, this isn't the cricketer Steve Smith. I found a, a guy in the NFL who's called Steve Smith. Yeah. So he's a he was an NFL wide receiver. He looked like he would play his entire season with the Carolina Panthers. Mm. Now, however, like his, well, his entire career, sorry, with the Carolina Panthers. Now, however, after 13 seasons with the Panthers, he decided to give, now they the Panthers decided to give Smith the boot after he had a poor season in 2013. Yeah. Now, Smith was signed by the Baltimore Ravens and he regained his form posting a 1,000-yard season with yeah. six scores. Now, when he played the Panthers, the team who cut him, Smith smacked their bottoms, catching seven passes for 139 yards yeah. and the two scores. He had two scores, and a few days later on a radio station, he said, the Panthers, quote, stabbed me in the back, end of quote. <laughs> now, we're going to talk about, we're going to go to the NRL now. We're going to talk about the two Stewart brothers, Brett Stewart and Glenn Stewart and how they got revenge over the NRL and the NRL's, well, the CEO at the time, David Gallup, who was the 
CEO of the NRL. Now, the two brothers played a key part in Manly Sea Eagles premiership success in 2008 and 2011. Now, Brett was a speedy fullback who also played for New South Wales and Australia. And Glenn was a tough second rower who also played for New South Wales and Australia. And he was the Clive Churchill medalist for the best player on the ground in the 2011 Premiership win. Now, just before the 2009 season commenced, Brett was charged with sexual assault of a woman and Fox Sports New Australia News Australia mentioned that the NRL suspended the 2009 NRL commercial, which featured Brett Stewart, and suspended him for the first four rounds for drunk behaviour. Mm. Now, Stewart strongly denied the sexual assault of the woman and contested it in court. Now, in September 2010 at the trial, the jury took only 50 minutes to return a not guilty verdict. Now, after a lengthy investigation by the Sydney Morning Herald and the Age newspapers, it was found the father of the alleged victim had a long history of fraud and the victim's sister even said she felt sorry for Brett Stewart as she believed her father saw Brett as a perfect target as uh, he had lots of money. Uh, now, in 2011, grand final win over New Zealand Warriors, both Brett and Glenn scored tries in their 24 points to 10 win. And after the game, when they were both on stage, they engaged in an intense conversation with NRL chief executive at the time, David Gallup. And I would have loved to have been a, uh, a fly on the microphone listening to what they were saying. Because yeah. <laughs> I can tell it wasn't, it wasn't pleasant. Uh, yeah. So that's um, one unfortunate thing, isn't it, Glenn, with famous... Sports people, um, yeah. your famous personalities, yeah, they yeah. Uh, can become a bit of a target, can't they? For that's, yeah, that's right. Money, yeah. yeah. Mm. Now, Terry Franconer. Now, he spent eight years with the Boston Red Sox, so he's a baseballer, baseball coach, sorry, this bloke. Now, he coached them when they won two World Series and he was the first Red Sox manager to win a World Series in 86 years. Now, Frank Kona and the Red Sox had unfortunately a nasty split and he was the subject of many negative comments on his way out. However, he stayed humble and he didn't react. Frank Kona was signed by the Cleveland Indians in 2014 as their new manager and he led them to a 2016 American League pennant. Now, he also had his revenge when the Indians wiped the floor with his former team, the Boston Red Sox, in three games in the divisional series and clinched a berth in the American League uh, conference system, winning at Boston's Fenway Park. Now, the next guy, we've spoken about him before. Now, he was in uh, one of our Where Are They Now? segments the episode with uh australia two winning the america's cup this is the bloke they beat the american skipper dennis connor Mm. now he's he was an american yachtsman who won free america's cup as skipper now in 1983 he became the first skipper and the first cup defender to be defeated in the 132 year history of the race ending the stranglehold held by the New York Yacht Club. Mm. 
Now, following the loss, Connor formed his own syndicate. Now, it was called the, uh, it was through the Sale America Foundation, in which he raised money to mount a challenge on behalf of the San Diego Yacht Club. Now, he went on to win the America's Cup. He won it back from Australian Fremantle in 1987. Yeah. Now, we're going to talk about two MMA fighters now, yeah. mixed martial arts fighters. Yeah. 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 Brock Lesnar, eh? Yeah, I was just going to say, I think even though they won it back, it was the following race that then New mm. Zealand won it. Back off yeah, New Zealand won it when it became uh, turned into like catamarans and all that. Didn't yeah, they? yeah, 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 yeah. The wind killed, changed all the chains at all. You know, yeah, yeah. You know, they're totally different boats to what they used to be, but they still say it still falls in the rules of the length mm. and yeah, all the measurements. Yeah. Well, it was a. Um, it was very big back in those days, wasn't it? That's right, yeah. You know, I remember the America's Cup T-shirts and yeah. rugby jerseys and flags, yeah. you know, yeah. when they had it over in uh, Fremantle. Yeah. And um, it turned into a non-event, really, because, you know, the Americans just won so easily. Yeah. And ever since then, yeah, Australia just hasn't really been bothered with it. Yeah, that's right. Like I remember there was one year Switzerland won it. Yeah. And you look at Switzerland, <laughs> there ain't any water around Switzerland, yeah. only in the, the lakes. Yeah. But it was like it was like an all New Zealand crew. That's right, yeah. yeah. If you've got the money, you can buy a crew from another country. <laughs> yeah. that has it's ridiculous. More, more experience and knowledge in sailing and that. Mm. Yeah. So it really has turned Mickey Mouse, hasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, the America's Cup. It's not what it used to be, uh, unfortunately. Yeah. Now, Brooke Lesnar. Now, he was a former wrestler who then became a w, uh, MMA fighter, sorry. Now, he won his first fight and was quickly brought back to earth when he took on the experienced Frank Mert and was easily defeated in the first round. Now, Lesnar then got another shot at Mert at the UFC 100 and knocked out Murr in the second round and taunted a bloodied Murr. Mm. Now, we're going to talk about two NFL teams now, the Falcons and the Eagles. Now, in the 2004 NFC Championship game, the Philadelphia Eagles, having failed in their three previous NFC Championships, defeated the Atlanta Falcons on their way to the Super Bowl. Now, in week one the following year, the two teams met again in a fiery matchup that saw a player from both teams get ejected for fighting. This time, the Falcons went on to win 14 points to 10. Now, yeah, this reminds me of uh, Manly in Western Suburbs back in 1978. Yeah. The Firebraves versus the Silver Tails in uh, Rugby League. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They had that massive brawl at Lickham Oval, Western mm. Suburbs, same ground. And yeah. It was just punch-ups galore. And, yeah. And, uh, yeah, Wests won that day. and But in the semifinals, and the, yeah, Manly got sweet revenge when they yeah. defeated West in the prelim final, 14-7. And then Manly went on to win the grand final. Yeah. Um, you know, after Wests have been the best team all year, 
Yeah, they finished minor premiers and, yeah, went out in straight sets. Yeah. So it was sweat revenge for Manly, that. Anyway, we'll talk about Wayne Gretzky and the Edmonton Oilers. So Wayne Gretzky is considered by many to be the greatest ice hockey player of all time. Now, he was traded from the Edmonton Oilers to the Los Angeles Kings, even though the Oilers had won the Stanley Cup the previous year. Mm. Now, in the first round of the playoffs the following season, Gretzky and the Kings defeated the Oilers in seven games, knocking the defending champions out of the playoffs. The Kings came from 3-1 down in the series, making it even sweeter revenge. Yeah, he just um, for so many years, you know, he just associated Wayne Gretzky with the Edmonton Oilers, and yeah, yeah all of a sudden, no, they didn't want him. Yeah. Oh. So the LA Lakers and the Boston Celtics. So 1984, the Boston Celtics and the LA Lakers had a fierce rivalry, and they met in the NBA Finals in an intense series. Now the Celtics won the deciding game seven with Larry Bird winning the finals MVP. Now, Magic Johnson and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar were particularly determined to seek revenge for the Lakers. Now, the following year, the Lakers would get another shot at the Celtics and go on to win the series in six games. They beat the Celtics again in the 1987 finals. Now, we go to uh, the West Coast Eagles and the Sydney Swans. Now, the Eagles lost a nail-biting AFL grand final to the Swans five side with the Swans going on to hold on and win by four points to win their first premiership in 72 years. Now, the two sides would meet 12 months later in the 2006 AFL decider. Now, West Coast dominated most of the match. However, the Swans stormed back in the final quarter and came within a point with the Eagles holding on to claim a one-point win and claim their third title. And the Wallabies and the All Blacks. So these were the days when the Wallabies were, they could play a lot better than what they do now. (laughs) Now, things were not going well for the Australian rugby side in the lead-up to the 2003 Rugby World Cup on their home soil. Now, they were trounced by the New Zealand All Blacks at Stadium Australia in Sydney, 50 points to 21, and lost the return game to the All Blacks in New Zealand with the All Blacks regaining the Bledisloe Cup. Now, during the 2003 World Cup, the Wallabies' form was scratchy. However, they made it through to the semi-finals at Stadium Australia and played the All Blacks. Now, this time the Wallabies were a different team and gained sweet revenge, winning 22 points to 10, and they went through to the World Cup final. Yeah, now I just said this morning, apparently the Rugby World Cup's going to be held in America. I think it's in uh, 2033. Yeah, and apparently they got, um, they had a draw with Portugal. And yeah, they've been knocked out of qualification for the the Rugby World Cup. Oh, when is it on? Uh, next year. Yeah, next yeah. year. So uh-huh. yeah, they want to improve a bit by then. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Let's move anyway. On. Yeah. So we're going to our Who Am I now? Time to reveal 
this week's Who Am I? And the answer is Essendon, the Essendon Bombers. Right, so we'll look at Paul's top five now. So in fifth place of uh, Sporting Revenge Moments, I've got a tie between Dennis Connor and Stefan Edberg. Right, fourth place, I've got Mitchell Johnson and the 2013-14 Ashes. Third place, I've got Essendon. Second place, I've got Joe Montana. And in top spot... I'm going to go, I'm going to go ice hockey, Wayne Gretzky. Yeah. I just think, yeah, just, uh, you know, he'd played for the Oilers for so many years and just a great, you know, and for them to give him the flick and he came back and made them eat their words. So, yeah, Wayne Gretzky's number one. What was your number one, Glenn? Uh, probably, uh to say. <laughs> yeah, it's so hard to pick. Yeah. Uh, I saw the favour there, the Michael Johnson one. Yeah. Yeah, the 2000. Oh, the Mitchell Johnson. Yeah, sorry, yeah. Mitchell Johnson. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, that was big, you know, the fact that he was, uh, he came back like that, yeah, yeah, in such a big way. And made them, <laughs> yeah, you know, just demoralise them so much. So you know, accomplished batsman, yeah, English batsman who three years earlier, you know, had just bashed him all over the park. Yeah, we're just quivering, face going in there three yeah. years later. Too yeah. scared to face him. Okay, and that just proves you know, fast bowling is all about. A lot of it has to do with rhythm and confidence. Yeah. And yeah, he just had it. It all just came to place, to mm. place for him. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, one thing I was going to say, I was going to, yeah, wish the uh, the Socceroos all the best for their game tomorrow morning against France. Yeah. So I think they're going to need it. <laughs> they're playing the defending champions. And, yeah. Yeah, the French um, team, I heard in the news this morning, they've copped criticism. Because they've never, they haven't heard of one Australian player. Yeah. And, you know, like, they shouldn't be criticised for that because yeah. I haven't heard of most of them. Yeah. I might have heard of a couple. Yeah. So, yeah, they're just talking the truth. Yeah. Anyway, I hope the French take it a bit easy on them. And okay. It could be a major upset. You never <laughs> know. Yeah. So, yeah, next episode. Yeah, we're going to, we spoke about this uh, last episode. We're going to talk about decisions in sport that, well, Paul would like to have reversed. Yeah. <laughs> if I had my time, yeah. if I could. You could go back to the future. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's just a shorter episode. And we're also going to talk after that about the World Cup and yeah, talk a bit, bit about the history of the World Cup. You know, it's the biggest sporting event in the world. Yeah. So, you know, we should uh, give it a mention. Yeah, okay. definitely. And we've got a surprise <laughs> next episode too. Yeah. Yeah. I hope. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it all goes anyway, yeah. yeah. So thanks for joining us for this episode of the Sports Chat. 
So it's a goodbye from Paul. A goodbye from Glenn. Goodbye. G'day, it's me again. Please check out the Sporting Shack on Facebook if you like this for posts and other likes and shares. Have a great sporting week. Please check out Gold Studio Productions on Facebook. Until next time. Ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one, and lift off.